This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over another roller coaster fortnight in Manchester United. Um, morning, Paul. How are you doing? Paul, you got the sound there? Yeah, I've got sound. I've got sound now. Sorry, Wayne. That's <laughs> all right. Sound. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. I just can't wait until this week's gone and then we're away from international football yeah it's been a long one especially considering we had um that dodgy result to to kick off international week um if you if you're watching live on on youtube um or facebook please like subscribe to the channel feel free to get your questions in if you're watching live as well um and if you're watching on twitter i don't know if they can if they can accommodate the questions just yet but um Give it a like, thumbs up, or whatever you can do on there. Really appreciate that. Um, feel free to join in the conversation. Um, Paul, it's been a couple of weeks, like we said before, um, uh, we've been able to reconvene after that game against Everton. I think it's fair to say that only United can a draw uh, be met with the intense scrutiny um, that basically says that ma- the manager's position comes under threat. I-, I don't know how seriously it is under threat. Um, considering that the new contract was given to McFeelan um, and everything like that it seems to be a public message of support for the manager. Um, but it is another big topic, as it tends to be every few weeks with this manager, and we will be getting to that. But, Paul, before we do, um, let's get into the Everton game because it's one that we missed before before international break. We do have to have a recap of it. Um, 1-1, final score. Oli made a few changes, notably to the front line. Um, Cavani and Martial came in. Martial scored in the first half, but otherwise um, looked quite lethargic. Um, you thought maybe it's a shop window performance for him and he was much the same as he's ever been. Uh, United with the midfield of McTominay and Fred, once again, worrying, worryingly non-existent. Um, they're not even they're there to be pragmatic in, in the mid, middle of the park, protect the defence, but they're not even doing that at the moment. It was a deep concern. Everton were exploiting a lot of space on the counter-attack. They did that. With the equaliser in the second half, and then from then on, probably looked likelier to, to win the game. They had that late effort disallowed as well. Oli brought on Sancho and Ronaldo, who were on the bench, um, didn't work out. We drew 1 1. We never even looked like winning the game, to be fair. 
Paul, we'll break down the tactics in a minute. We'll come to, to the sort of shape of the team and everything. But um, on the game itself, Everton were, um, we've got to say, they were good value for the draw, really. They were really, really good value, Everton. And I'd seen them a few weeks prior to that in the EFL Cup, Queen's Park Rangers. And <clears throat> Queen's Park Rangers totally outplayed them. They outplayed them, a team not too, not too dissimilar to the one that started at Old Trafford, to be yeah. honest, really. It was just more of a change in the back line that the difference was. But Everton were far superior in every area than Manchester United. United started the game, started the first half and the second half better than Everton. And even I was sitting doing the game and even I said, second half, I said, yes, you United have started quite lethargic, but they're still keeping the ball. Everton are on the back foot without United even trying to really break them down and just content to keep the ball for the sake of keeping the ball and not trying to keep the ball in pressure areas where they're going to kind of threaten Everton. And, you know, and it's easy to... People want to count passes and how many passes you made and pass percentage. But unless you're actually hurting people... It's a waste of time because it means nothing. And that's and that's mm. what it is really. Nothing, nothing direct, nothing progressive. And Everton just took that. I mean, we have to say, um, Grain has never had a better game at Old Trafford than what he did on that day. He was incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. That's his best performance ever at Old Trafford. Maybe one of his best 90 minutes. Yeah. You know, he's played. It was in, in, in really good performance. And they took him off in the end. And I think I'm saying to myself, he wouldn't take him off at the moment because he was putting United on the back foot so often. You think to yourself, you're going to release the pressure. It didn't, but I think they took him off so he could get what he deserved as applause from the away fans because he was incredible for them. But I look at United and dare I say it, which was said after, but I, I said it, as soon as I saw what the team was, I went, that's a bad mistake because straight away, if you're Everton, you're thinking to yourself, Ronaldo's not playing. Straight away, that releases a bit of pressure on those two centre-offs. They think, well, we ain't got to worry about him too much for his movement. Not that he's going to run away from you. It's about his movement. We ain't got to worry about it. Everton, two centre-halves. I'm not, you know, I think it was Keane and it was, um, it was Mina, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the two centre-halves. And they're not the, the sharpest and, Move, you can move them around all over the place. And, and Ronaldo would have done that, but no, they left him on the, brink, on the bench. And then he brings in two players who haven't had a lot of football between them, ring Rusty, into a game. And, he, you know, and the whole thing was around that Ronaldo can't play every game. Well, I'm sorry, my idea of someone like Ronaldo and what he wants, he wants goals. If he's going to get, he's going to score goals in these games. There's no League Cup to play him anymore because he decided about how, you know, the way he wanted to be about that. So there's, so there's what is Premier League and, in theory, Champions League. And so you, what you've got to do with someone like Ronaldo, you play him until such time he tells you when he thinks he might need a rest. It sounds maybe a little bit pompous or whatever. He might be that way, but no one knows body better than the person inside. And you're looking for honesty from him. And I think Ronaldo just wants to play every game to keep his engine ticking over. To stop start, I don't think he can do that. He came on a sub against Everton and he ended up playing midfield. Sancho did, had one little, one little spurt. You think yourself, there's something there. 
I mean, the jury are still out, still out there regarding the fee that was paid for him, regarding the fact that no one else was seen to be bidding for him, and yet you pay over £70 million. And I haven't, I haven't seen anything yet. I never saw anything prior to him coming United to warrant that fee, and I still haven't seen it. People will say to me it's a bit early. People will say, oh, it takes time to settle in the Premier League. I say, that's rubbish. When you pay £70 million for somebody, you expect them to hit the ground running. That means they've got qualities, which kind of says that they can just get themselves, you know, kind of, you know, kind of get themselves and soak into everything that's going around them and build their way in very quickly. He's nowhere near that at this moment in time. Maybe he needs belief. Yeah, but but on that point, um, I, I would say that probably in, in the Villarreal game, which we'll talk about later on, but um, also when he came on against Everton, there were a couple of flashes there. And the point is, really, to return to the original um, statement that you made, is that it was the change in the team, really. With with the loss of these competitions, Oli took a gamble, which I think... Um, well, the one thing that concerns well, there are a couple of things that concern me about it. But the, the first one in the changes that he made, where you know, like Sancho and Ronaldo were on the bench rather than than starting the game, what's that effectively telling us? It's saying that Oli's seen this as a progressive season in a way that like can afford to take that change, and I don't think he could afford. He's inviting pressure because he knows that the the likelihood is that that makes things difficult for him. I think maybe he does trust those players to get the result, don't get me wrong, but I think it's an unnecessary gamble. Like you said, there was the international break in front of us. And you can't I, you can't use a Premier League game as a shop window. Like for, and I know Martial scored, but like everyone, every, like anyone who watched that game could see that he was the same old Martial. And I, I don't mean that like being, getting really on the back of him because it's like we've said a few times on this podcast, I think it's past the point of criticising the player because you know what you're going to get from him. So when he puts in the performance that he does, which is infuriating, and then he come, pops up with a goal, but offers little to, to the game, then you know what you're going to get from him anyway. But what, I mean, it adds nothing to the team, really. I mean, we're, I guess, in, in a sense, stupid as it sounds, goals do influence games. So we got that and we got a point thank, thanks to that. But you don't learn anything. It really adds nothing. What, I, I, you know, I still maintain that I would have preferred to have seen Sancho start the game, and that's the concern, isn't it? Is that a concern for you, Paul? The fact that Oli is looking at a game like that and thinking, well, I can continue to ease in Sancho gently, and and I don't have to play Ronaldo. He can't afford. He doesn't have the time to to do that. He doesn't. He's in the moment. He's on the he's on the clock at the moment in time with a lot of people now. More so, the people who are even backing him and wanted him still there were having fierce you know, vocal battles with people over the fact that he was still in the job and they didn't believe he should be in that job. Um, I think one of the saving graces is that there's nobody really out there at the moment that anyone can throw in the face to save yeah. Manchester United to get. But when you've got someone like, he's got to play him and he's got to get him out. Let, let, the, let the young lad feel confident that he's wanted by the manager, that he, the manager's going to play him. Don't, you know, he wants to keep playing games. He's playing consistently from where he's come from, playing for a second, third best team, whatever you want to call it, in the Bundesliga. And all of a sudden, he comes to Manchester United. He knows the history of Manchester United, but he still actually believes that he warrants a spot. He was playing regular Champions League football. 
Dortmund, but now he, he's not starting Premier League games and he, he mostly can't fathom and he's looking who's in front of him and he's, and he's kind of thinking, well, what's going on? He's not even starting maybe where he wants to be on the right-hand side, where he's got a lot of belief to go round the outside. You know, a little bit different to on his left side. So um, I just wonder, was he a signing that necessarily wasn't that important to be making, given the players already in the squad? Yeah, and you, said, you look at how he's got... To be fair, you were saying that before we signed him, so it's not yeah. like... Yeah, but I mean, then all of a sudden he's got some... He's still got Rashford to come back. And we know yeah. that he's going to feel obliged to play Rashford in certain ways. I mean, because it becomes a little bit political on that side of things. And I've said it, and that's and that's how it is to me. When Rashford is fit, he will feel obliged to play him. And so that puts the manager under more pressure as well in selection. So, and then he's got someone like Mason Greenwood, who was still, in theory, United's most consistent front player at this moment in time. Ronaldo scored goals, but when you're looking at what he does in games and the effect he has on defenders he's yeah. playing against, he's been the most impressive player with the football at his feet, his movement, yeah. his passing. He's been the most effective. Take away goals. I know goals are the most important thing in games, but you've got to look at the football sometimes that people play rather than sometimes looking at stats. It's about how they play, and he's been impressive. So we can't leave him out. He's a local boy as well, but he deserves to be in to start every game. Now he's the one maybe if you want to talk about resting people and whatever, you might think about someone like him if you wanted to do if you want to go in that line and the Sancho comes in, you think, okay, a little bit of a battle there for that position. But that might mean that might then overflow and then you get one who might be happy to go and play on the other side. But he has to he has to now Keep, he has to, I keep, I've said it before, I use the word sentiment. He needs to put that to bed and start saying to himself, I need to win every single game as manager of this football club. And I need to get my best players involved in every single game or my key players involved in every single game. So I want to go out strong. Can Ronaldo start? If he can start, yes. Can he, If he scores and things are comfortable, then maybe you can take him off. But don't keep having him sitting on the bench and then bringing him on when it's going a little bit wrong because you're putting more pressure on an ageing player by saying go out there and win with a game. That means he's going he's going to feel and the way Ronaldo is, he's going to want to go and prove a point. He's going to want the ad, the adulation of going out there and scoring the, the most important goal as he did in Europe, you know. But he, he's putting more strain on his body by pushing him out there every time things ain't going right. And, and the thing as well, as you see with TV, every time something went wrong, the camera panned to the manager, then panned to Ronaldo on the bench, looking to see what he's saying. Is he nudging people and looking for those little bits that they can use to, to put pressure, more pressure on Oli? So you don't put yourself in that position. If you're not going to use Ronaldo, you, 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 so, you say you want to rest him, then turn around and be in his face and be honest and say, I'm not going to play in this game. I'm not even going to have you in a squad. But it yeah. takes that pressure off. Rather than having on the bench and feeding the feeding the, the director in, in the um in the galley, in the gallery, sorry, and allowing him to keep sending sending cameras to you know to show Ronaldo on the bench. And yeah. we United have to move on, have to move on. And that's that means by the manager being stronger. 
And as much as yeah. I still want him to be Man Manchester United's manager, he's going to have to work very hard this season. That signing of Ronaldo has taken it now to a, a, a level of demanding even more for Manchester United because of one player. Yeah. Even though, well, as I, I said about Sancho signing, was it, was it, was it that important? The midfield for Manchester United is still battling to be one of the better ones, be one of the top 10 in the Premier League. Well, that, that's the point. Let's get on to that. Um, McTominay and Fred is a, a conversation we've had many times on this podcast. And when we said it at the time of the Ronaldo signing, that the, the concern of the Ronaldo signing was that if they, they had the money to spend on a player like Ronaldo, why didn't they have the money to spend on a midfielder when, you know, don't get me wrong, you don't miss out on a player like Ronaldo. I can understand that. But the whole conversation we were having before Ronaldo even signed was there's no more money left. So if they didn't see the midfielder as a priority, then what are they playing at, basically? And and we've got to the point now where we've, we've talked about the merits of Ole playing these players, McTominay and Fred, and they obviously excel excel for their standards in the bigger games where they're expected to break up the play and not set the tone of it. But we've been saying, you, to be fair, you were saying it a lot earlier than what I was. I was going to give them a chance with this, but the the big concern was that they couldn't set the tempo in the big games. It, no, not in the big games, sorry, the smaller games. They, couldn't, they definitely can't do it in the big games, but they can't do it in the smaller games as well. And especially when we were playing at home, it was becoming increasingly obvious that they couldn't dictate the tempo. And the knock-on argument to that is, well, you expect that from those players now. That's what you expect. So don't expect it from them that they're going to do something that they don't do, but at least they're there to be pragmatic. The issue is, in the last few games, when we've seen them, they're not doing the pragmatic side of it. They're not defending what they're supposed to be defending. I'm not criticising them as players. Maybe it's the system. Maybe it is them as players. But for whatever reason... The defence was still getting exposed. It's getting pulled all over the place. And part of the reason for that is the protective midfield wasn't being protective enough. You can't hide from the result. You can't hide from the way that the chances were created. Everton created a lot. Villa were creating a lot. That's because of the shape of the team and the qualities of the midfield that's there to protect the defence. And we've even upgraded the defence. Now, I mean, some people could could point to the um, Varane switch, you know, that he switched to the left to accommodate Lindelof. I think that's too simplistic because you can see that the concession of the chances is obviously um, due to the fact that they're not getting the, the the sort of protection. And I'm not saying that they need the protection. I'm just saying it's obvious that they don't have it. And that's the point, Paul. That's the point with this now. If you don't have that midfield doing what, even with the limited qualities, doing what they're supposed to be doing within that limited quality, and knowing that they can't, you know, they're not going to set the pace against a team like Everton, who were there, you know, they had a lot of changes. We, we could have, that was a game, like the Villa game, we were comfortably expected to win at home. If you don't have a midfield that can control that game, and it's not even defending the defence the way that it's, it's supposed to, Oli has to make that change now. He has to look at that and say, look, I've trusted you guys. This is the point. This is the point, really, where he has to say, this is going to count against me. This is the swinging point, isn't it, really? This is where he looks at it and says, if I don't make this change, these results are going to determine my career at United. 
that's hundred percent right. And but I think everyone knows, and I'm going with it at this weekend. He knows it's important to win. He has to please. He has to give his try his best to win. So, is he going to change those two in the middle of midfield? No, he's not. He will go. That, 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 that's his go-to. What he believes can give him the best chance of winning, and just go in there and try and destroy the best they can. The problem is this: it's not United's way. I played with some seriously, seriously good midfield players, but the one thing about them, of any midfield in that given time, doesn't matter what club it was, they could do both. They could mm-hmm. destroy, and generally the top sides could create as well. And when you and when you see some of the midfields back from that era and you put them up against some of them now, you go, wow. But midfield players could go up and back. And the one thing generally what midfield players could do, they could keep the ball. Teams would keep the ball. And, and that's always been deemed, as the old-fashioned words are, the best form of defence is to attack. And United, ball retention-wise, they're poor. They are poor yeah. compared to, you know, you talk about, the three teams everyone's talking about winning the ones who could win the Premier League this season, United are not in that level. And then you look at everyone else in their midfield and you say, okay, that's where maybe they're competing at this moment in time, defensively and attacking wise as well. Crystal Palace midfield is mostly better defensively than Manchester United's because you look at Crystal Palace's centre halves compared to the centre halves at Manchester United. Have got in comparison, you look at the, how much they cost in, in that bit, and they're still not better. Then the midfield at Palace definitely can attack better because they play a little bit deeper and they than they play on the counter. But you know, I really don't understand the way they're supposed to be playing. It's reliance on individuals to to put to pull you out of trouble. Your reliance is on Mason Greenwood to nick a goal. How many times has that happened this season and last season? The reliance is now is on Ronaldo to come from nowhere and score a goal. We saw that in Villarreal. And there's too much reliance on individuals to win. It's not about controlling games. United do not control games of football. And doesn't people, you know, nothing wrong in playing smash and grab. But that's fine. It's only fine, though, if you're not Manchester United. If you're Manchester United, you have to have more because you're paying that little bit more being Manchester United, everyone wants to take more off you for anything you want from because you've deemed them a big club. History, everything that goes with it, um, achievements, all there in black and white. And they're not they're not playing in that way. They're nowhere near that. And, and yet they've got to make a big signing, but they've gone further away in people's mind of winning the Premier League. So how does, how does that make any sense? So you have to look, and everyone keeps saying it, everyone talks about Manchester United in the midfield. I've been saying it for so long, and I don't know where it's going to go to. Does it actually need? <laughs> the only way it seems to, anyone seems to really take notice of it is for Gary Neville to come out and say it. What everyone's been saying for years. If he comes out and says it, also the media will grab hold of it and go, "Oh, Gary's right." Not only what everyone else is saying, the man in the man in the street saying it. No one listens to him, but he knows it. There is no cohesion. It's like putting oil and water together and expecting them to, to join together. And you'll sit there for ages watching it. It's never going to happen. doesn't matter how often he keeps playing them and how many times he has. One or both of them, both he 
don't work. They need more than that. And if you've got a little bit fluency in there, and that means putting in creative players who can do both. Because remember, there was a day or a time when midfield players had more than one bit in their game. They weren't just called defensive midfield players because they yeah. wouldn't abide by that. Could you imagine telling someone going up and saying to Roy Keane, oh, Roy, you're our defensive midfield player. Can you imagine that? Just stand there, Roy, and pass the ball square and backwards. Yeah. Same with the, the funny thing is with Roy is that he sort of did that himself, didn't he, after the hip injury? He just said, no, I've realised my own limitations. I'll just sit here. And, and even then when he did that, he was still the best player on the pitch most of the week. Yeah, but he was still he was still being he was still bursting forward. He made those bursts. He had to think about Yeah, but then he had players around and he demanded more from them. But he demanded more from those players around him to give him that bit that he used to do and now he couldn't do. But he'd done his bit and he didn't just stand there. He was still making those tackles. He was yeah. still organizing. He was thrusting. He was demanding the ball to move the ball quicker from the back. There's no one who can do that. There's no one who goes and does that. Maybe that's yeah. an era thing. Maybe that's the, the way life has changed as individuals, the way that kids are being brought up now. But there isn't, people keep saying, oh, we need a leader. Or oh, sorry, this country hasn't got a leader, let alone them being born now into this world because it's the way the world is. Those kind of people, those hungry people are not around in the game anymore because football's been taken away from the streets, from the working class. The footballer who is desperate to be a footballer because because life hasn't made it, made it easy for them. A lot of football now is middle-class kids coming into football. It's, it's, a, it's a changing game. Yeah. Um, it's funny you say going back a little bit, and, and yeah, people might think listening to Too Old Fuddy that he's talking about this, but I, I look at the the thing that you just said brought to mind, the, the famous incident when Cantonon Dechamp fell, um, fell out, and basically, that was because Cantona described Dechamp as a, a water carrier. And now, we want two water carriers in our midfield. It's all, almost anathema to United. Um, we're talking about the, the team and what needs to improve in the team because we're talking about faith in the manager and still wanting him to turn it, not turn it around, because I don't think it's so bad to be turned around, just to improve and, and take us to the next part. Um, but... A lot of people aren't as patient as that, Paul. Um, a lot of people do want him sacked. Um, some people, um, I mean, some of the stuff that I've I've been reading over the last few days is like, you know, you sack him now and um, you'll win the Champions League, uh, which I, I just think is complete nonsense. It's just based on what happened at Chelsea. But the problem that we've got is that every October, it seems that Ollie's under the... Uh, we we were talking about this before the international break, where we Paul? I think I don't know if it was on air or off air, but we were saying how every October seems to bring a lot of pressure for Ollie. Like last season, uh, for example, um, we were fortunate in that we had a terrible summer uh, where we weren't biked properly. Well, he wasn't biked. It was reminiscent, really, of all these um, of Jose Mourinho's last summer, where he got us to second and then wasn't biked for whatever reason. And he was. I think we were kind of lucky that Liverpool had their injuries and Chelsea had their poor start, and Mourinho was wrecking Spurs. So we had a not a free run at second. It was still a competitive sort of achievement to get there. I'm not dis disregarding that. I think it was a good achievement to get second, but um, I think it was a really good achievement to get second based on what we started on. Um, but the fact is, like we said, every October 
he is under that kind of pressure. He does come under it where people are speculating about um, his his future. And that tells you a thing. And you have to be blunt and say it's, the situation is concerning enough that people think that's a serious conversation, right? It, it's not cut and dried for us to be saying, oh, well, he's definitely been a success because people are having the conversation in October that it's not going right. And we're here now, a few weeks into the season. And I think that without Ronaldo, we were all probably expecting top four and hoping that we'd challenge for the title and step forward from last season. But I think we all sort of knew in our heart that the lack of centre midfield, if we didn't get one in before the deadline, it was going to count against us. And we can see that it's quite obvious where it costs us in games. Um, Ronaldo doesn't change that problem, but he changed the expectation um, for all of us. And I include myself in that because now we're automatically now, we've got to win something. You've got to win something serious, not just the Carabao Cup. You've got to win one of the major trophies. And I'm not even sure the FA Cup counts as that. Um, it'd be nice to think he does, but uh, we're talking serious ambition now. So you're looking at the problems that we've got, Paul, and saying, okay, are we now getting the best of what we have or can we do better with what we've got? And as we intimated a while back, that's a question that we we have to ask it because we're now being confronted with it. Ollie's done well to stabilise the club, but I think it's probably fair to say we expected a trophy last season and we have to have a significant run at the title now. The thing is, when he got the job, I feared that the position we were in at the time from what Mourinho had left us in, that we would be going down to mid-table, like Arsenal, for example. I thought, you hire a manager with no experience, you're going to you're gonna be wallowing around mid-table for a bit because of his inexperience. So, I've got to be honest and say, he surpassed what I expected him to do, in the, or to be able to do in the first place. And now again, I find myself questioning whether he can take us to the next level, and I've got my doubts but because he's proved me wrong before, I'm kind of thinking, oh, well, at least give him the full season because he's earned it from his performance to work out if he can get a better rhythm from what he's got. This is a bad example, but if we finish, if he works out the midfield and it starts working properly and we finish third, I'd be more inclined to feel positive than if he doesn't and we finish with McTominay and Fred and finish in second. Does that make sense? So even if we get some good results, as long as... I just think it's a big moment for him. And you said earlier about the... you know, Like I said, well, I was saying earlier, the latest one is Bayern and Chelsea sacking the manager mid-season and winning the Champions League, so we should do the same. I'm kind of surprised that that one needs discussing because it's so absurd to me that the idea that you rebuild a club to the point where you're restructuring the staffing structure, you've undertaken the massive investment at youth level, and you want to spite the you want to sack the manager in spite of there being not really convincing options out there. I mean, Conte is being one. Um, a lot of good people I know are sort of talking about Conte, but I don't think anyone at the club has. I don't think there's anything from the club that suggests that United want him. I think it's just people, some people who were looking for anything other than Ollie, and he's one of the best available. That to me says if that's the best available, stick with what you've got. Just like invest in the patience a little bit longer. I'm not saying it's definitely going to be a success, but I'm more convinced in continuing with what we've got than I am the alternative of if it's Conte and for whatever short term boost we get with that. Because someone else said new manager bounce. And I'm like, when has the phrase new manager bounce ever been associated with Manchester United? 
it's so alien to me. That I'm not being disrespectful. It's something that you expect from Rotherham, not from Manchester United. Am I, am I being too simplistic with that, Paul? Or are we going to be at a point where it doesn't matter if it's Conte or someone else, that you just say, no, Oli can't do the job. It's too big for him. You have to bring in someone else, even if it is for six months a year. I would, I can understand what people are saying, and people do believe what they see. And Chelsea's one was just one of those the way it worked out. It's just something I don't believe will again happen for a while, to be honest. But the difference was as well that there was a there was good players at Chelsea, and there was a there was a, he's coming and and he changed it. And the fact is, he hasn't gone out and suddenly gone out and brought a load of players on the back of that. He's just used players within and just changed it that way. And everyone, everyone comes out and says, oh, the squad that he's got, the players he's got are good enough to... <clears throat> I don't think so. There's a lot of players at United, but there is a lot of dead wood. A lot of dead wood. That's the biggest problem. There's been too much giving people contracts for the sake of people having contracts. One of them I named, Bailly. Yeah. So many centre-halves. Why? Because at the end of the day, sometimes you have to say, we've lost out there. And just let the contract run out and let the player turn around and say, as it works out, there you are, your contract, you just, you just leave the contract, let the press write about someone's contract running out. If someone really wants him badly and think they can get him cheaper, there's a bonus. If not, the contract runs out. Your thank you to that player is that you're on the free. That gives you the chance to demand a little bit more because you haven't cost anything. But there's players sitting out there, sitting there, who are content to be there rather than getting the hump and not turning up to watch games because they're too embarrassed to be sitting around, don't want to be sitting there and people asking them or people feeling obliged to say, oh, you should be in the team. They don't want it because their ego has been dented to the fact of they're not playing regular old traffic. And trust me, it's not it's not nice going to games when you're, when you're not playing regular, especially when you've had a taste of it. You just don't yeah. want to do it. And if those, a lot of those players, it doesn't bother them, doesn't hurt them enough not playing regular on a Saturday or a Sunday for Manchester United. They're quite content to sit sit at home while the game's going on, while games are going on, knowing that they're, they're still there to a Manchester United player. It's not my problem. I'll be, I'll be training Monday morning and I'll just yeah. carry them as normal. Which, how, do you, how do you train Monday to Friday and not have a game and not be involved, not be in the Manchester uh, mindset in his mind? You know, It just doesn't make any sense, but that isn't going to change at this moment in time. A change of manager... I don't think. I think he needs to run to the end. He desperately needs the opportunity to get to a final. And then he needs then to win a final. Because as far as I'm concerned, if he gets to a final, if he he doesn't make it to a final, you go kind of, then you can look at things. But if he makes it to a final and he loses another final, that would be it. I think the majority of people would just say, that's it. They've They've had enough. They've had enough to see Manchester United lose so many finals because people are not used to it. They're not, they're not going to accept it. And it's big pressure. But he took that job on. There's other reasons why he took the job on. But if you're not willing to be under that kind of pressure and knowing that the job could disappear so quickly if you don't achieve what's written, what's written down in black and white from Manchester United, then you know it, you know it in yourself. I think he knows this is his most important season that as much as he's signed a new contract, and no one knows how that contract's laid out, by the way. Everyone just assumes it's more money and whatever. There'll be things in there 
that no one knows about that might be he might not just be as cut and dry for in favor of him as what everyone believes it is so he knows there's the a demand on him this season to go and win a trophy yeah he's, he's like the i think january is going to be crucial united are going to have to bring in a midfielder you can't pretend that that area doesn't need reinforcing we can all see that it does um, and I think he knows that now. I, I think, to be honest, he's, he's tried to change it around a little bit, and that's why he's gone back to McTominay and Fred because the other options haven't from worked out. Let me but just I, say I, this bit, Wayne. Let me just say this bit is that now I keep reading about Paul Pogba and contract and allegedly how much he wants. I think that's one of those ones you turn around and just say no. Yeah, I've said that. Square, square pegs in square pegs in round holes. Too many often. Too, too many times, far too often, just to try and fit you in. Maybe Oli just hasn't got that, or the people around him just haven't got that bit trying to think how they can get the best out of him, how they can get him in a, in a flowing midfield. And it just doesn't work. When he plays for his country, everyone talks about I talked about it. He looks this, he looks that. But it's the way that team plays. He plays in a French team where ball retention is paramount. It's, it's there. It's, it's, it does Manchester United don't play that way. There's a lot of chasing around, and when he does get it, he feels he's got to try and do something. He's got to, he's got to implement something positive, and it's too much. And if he's going to go somewhere else, maybe back to Juve and do great, and everyone blows back a little bit in your face at Manchester United, so be it. It just didn't work out. There's been so many good players, great players, who just haven't. It just hasn't happened from Manchester United when people have huffed and puffed with them. Pogba could be another one, would be another one, yeah. is well, another five, one as far as is. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, because five five years evidence is more than enough to, to tell us that. Um, but you made a good point, really. I mean, that about sort of investing more time and patience in players. And really, January might help us out with that Newcastle's recent takeover. Um, there's a lot of, you, know, you said squad fillers, Deadwood at the moment. Um, but I mean, you, you look at Van der Beek, Jesse Lingard, Phil Jones, Anthony Martial. These are players ripe for a club like Newcastle who've just been taken over, who, who are probably thinking, especially Lingard, someone who's actually quite motivated. Um, ironically, that probably one of those that you'd want to keep at the club, but there's those options are there and there should be some money to spend um, with that. Um, but the, the other thing is changes from within. Um, we still got a little bit of time to talk about this. Um, they talk about Kieran, you know, like a lot of people talk about the backroom stuff like Kieran McKenna, um, Mick Phelan, uh, and Michael Carrick. Um, and, and it's fair to say when you look at them in, in conversation with Ollie, you're not sure of the distinction of what each of them brings to the table. I mean, under Fergie, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not classing this in, in the Fergie um, era or realm or any comparison other than the fact that Mick Phelan was there. And when Mick Phelan was there, you understood that he was a go between the between the the um, the manager and the players. So he, he was there to you know relay information. And, and I'm sure he's a great coach as well because he obviously runs his own coaching school. Um, he knows what he's talking about. He don't have a long career at United under Sir Alex Ferguson without knowing um, knowing the pressures and the expectations of a club like that. Um, 
but with Carrick and, and McKenna, you're not really sure. I'm not slagging them off, but you're not really sure of what they're bringing to the table. The the club brought in a set piece specialist over the summer. There's also talk about another coach coming in. But the problem is when you do that, say if you're bringing in a tactical coach or something like that, then you run the risk of undermining what you've got in place already because you're bringing in a big name and you're saying that person knows better than than the managers and and that the managers don't have a tactical idea. And I was thinking about this. Um, who is there that's available um, that doesn't undermine what we've got? And really, the, the one that came to mind, Paul, and, and a lot of people might disagree with this, but the thought that I had was the best tactical coach that we've had over the last generation is Renny Mullenstein. And he's probably there to come back to the club if, if you sort of made the right offer for him. I know he's assisting at the moment in Australia, but he's going to be a, player, a coach who would come into the setup. He knows the club. He knows a lot of the players there. He's, you know, he works with them a lot, a lot of them as youngsters. Um, he knows he's worked closely with Ronaldo. He understands him as a as a player and as a person. Um, and he's not going to undermine the setup. He's going to be championing it to succeed. Um, is that too obvious a call, or, or do you think that when you look at that backroom setup, do you think do you think that something's needed? Would you think that Rennie is too left field an answer? Do you think you move on and try and find the new the new Rennie Mullenstein, for example? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong in blowing a bit of dust off a book and reading a book, is there? Because at the, at the end of the day, it's the same when it's brand new and it's the same when it's old. It's just yeah. going, it's just matured a little bit. That's all the book's done. And someone like him wouldn't have changed in that in that sense. There'd be more positives to gain from that now when you, you can then look at everything and you can just see it all there in black and white in his history. So he knows everything about Manchester United. He knows about football about the football they want to play and what they have played and he knows exactly the way it's going now and when you when you listen to him speak because all they want to do when he's on you see him on tv or you hear him they want to talk manchester united with him and you listen to him talk and you know that manchester united is still there in him you can feel yeah. it, you know he's still very we we and us all, all the things that put him there that his dna is manchester united I see, no, I see nothing wrong in him coming back. The boss went down a path, didn't he, Wayne, in the sense of he he wanted to make do things differently. He suddenly saw that he needed help, someone to give him different ideas, someone to maybe question some of the things that he was doing yeah. um, all the time. And he was changing coaches. You know, you think of um, Carlos Quiros. You know, he had two, you know, I think he had a couple of spells, didn't he, come in and then... Also, Rennie, then you look at, you had Steve McLaren for a while, and yeah. he moved around, you, you know, and the boss didn't care who come in, as long as they was going to improve. He didn't see them as a threat or under, might undermine him. He's, as far as he was concerned, if he was winning games of football, there was only one person, there was, there was one person, and there was 11 others who were winning those games. It yeah. wasn't about the new person comes in, and he's coming because of the fact of Sir Alex Ferguson was out. Not because he was better. Sir Alex Ferguson wanted him there to improve his team. To someone who was going to put different things in his head for him to think about and maybe yeah. tweak. And you're not under, you know, you're not doing, you're not putting yourself in a in a pressure position by bringing someone new in. He's not going to take your job in a million years, but you're bringing someone in to improve the team. So if it's about that with Ollie about someone, then that's the wrong way to. That means you you shouldn't be in the job. 
Yeah. You've got to look to improve that side. Doesn't matter how big a name they are, they've come along because it's Manchester United. They've come along because they want to be involved in the club. They're nothing better than being involved in the football club, especially Manchester United, when you're winning games of football and you're winning trophies because your stock goes up as well. So there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I I personally been saying it for ages. I don't know if Mick's been um tailed in what he does do, but I'm not seeing the old Mickey Phelan who was always there on the edge of the edge of the box all the time when the boss was in charge. He's not there. The boss would only would come down and everyone would suddenly just lift their yeah. shoulders up and pick. He had that. He had that. When he come to the to the front of the box, you you panic. There was something that he wasn't happy with or something, and he he got there and, he, and his presence was enough about him opening his mouth. Mickey had that way about him, about encouragement, a stern encouragement. Mickey would talk, to, would come and sit down and talk to people. Even as a player, Mickey had that bit. He would turn around and say something. He wouldn't, even as a player, when things weren't going right, he wouldn't get in your face and F and Jeff at you or anything. He would talk to you in a way, a bit like Robbo, really, in a manner, kind of just asking you a question. And that question would bother you because you know that you're affecting one of your teammates what they're trying to do. So you would step up. And Mickey's still got that about him. You don't lose that. But is he allowed to push that across? Is is Ollie um is is he with Kieran and then with um Michael? Is he is he making them try and do that? But I think you have to earn the right to do that, to be able to yeah. do that. Because even I sometimes I every time my kids come up, who is he? Who is Kieran? I don't know him and I look at his presence it, it doesn't really instill, instill enough in me. I look at Michael Carrick and, you know, as much as he, how many games he played for United in the time he was there, has he done enough within the club coaching-wise and regular? Did he do Did he do what Nicky, all the work that Nicky Buck done to get to where he was? I don't think he did. You know, so I think if there was a Nicky Buck there in, involved in that, I think there would there'd be a difference. Because but, yeah. but he's got everything behind him: the trophies, the amount of games, and more importantly, the clubs in the clubs in his heart. You know, it's so. an interesting. It's a really interesting thing that you bring up. Like Nicky, obviously, brought up around Manchester, but Rennie, a little bit like yourself, if you don't mind me saying, is that some players and managers and coaches, they what makes them what they're composed of in terms of their football ideology marries perfectly with United. You're not necessarily born being a Manchester United with that kind of, like, Nicky Butties, but if you possess that yourself, like Rene, like yourself, that you, you're more in, you're more inclined to succeed at the club, basically. And what I'm saying is, like, Rene can, he's not necessarily um, harking back to Busby and, and Murphy and Dockett and everything, but he's got his own ideas if anyone anyone who has a conversation with Rennie Mullenstein knows is um, one of the you know most intelligent people in football, basically. So that you know they know um, um, you know it's just it's an interesting one for me, um, and and obviously I think that something has to change. I just don't like you. I, I look at Kieran, I look at Michael, and I think that they obviously. They're there for a reason. Ollie trusts them. He's had them all the time. Um, I'm not discounting what they do or don't do. I don't really know that enough. Of, we know enough of what Mick Phelan does. Like you said, you've had the experience of being around him. It feels like something else needs to change in there. Um, if you know, if that coaching setup is to stay as it is, 
I just think, as yeah. we know, Wayne, as we know, Wayne, it isn't sometimes I've been proven um, that it isn't always that happens on the pitch. That yeah. Change is not always needed on the pitch. Sometimes, as we've seen before with United, with changes of coaches, that makes a difference as well. Different ideas and sometimes get your own. There's nothing wrong in changing your mind as a manager, changing your mind. And I think the boss changed it in a way. He's suddenly got an, an idea in his head. And I think that's more so when um, Carlos Quiros come in, that he had to play in a different way in the Champions League to what he did in the Premier League. Yeah. He knew he had to make changes and he had to change the dynamics of the team to actually to put United in a better position. It didn't guarantee it straight away, but it set down a, a pattern, a formation, and the players he needed to take him forward to winning a Champions League. And that's why it all come about. They, they got the opportunity to come about in 99. You know, it was close in 96. Was it not? No, sorry, 97. It was really, yeah. and it got closer and it got closer and closer. But it took a, a tweak to be able to do that, to go that way forward. So it isn't always on the pitch. It's about most important things happen off the pitch because that's where decisions are made. Yeah. Um, Sidia makes a comment there. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. As Alex says, you should always start with your best players. I don't know if you were listening at the start of the show, but yeah, we absolutely we, we concur with that. We definitely said that about um, Ronaldo and and Sancho starting um, against Everton. Um, let's preview the Leicester game um, quickly, Paul. Um, Varane was injured on international duty. Maguire looks like he's going to be out. Um, a run of fixtures, basically, that means um, other people might not be as tolerant with Oli as what we are um, in terms of like the solutions from within that can turn, uh, not again, not turn things around. because We're not in that Jose Mourinho position where everything's falling apart and it needs to be turned around just to kick us on. Um, a lot of people, I don't think, uh, see it that way. And it doesn't look like either of the central defenders are going to be out for a long time, but it is a reminder of just how poor and disorganised we can be in defence with just one change. So, um Take the two changes, especially with the the fullbacks being out of form, and it is a you know more than just a little bit concerning, Paul. That you know we've got this run of fixtures. You don't know how long the the two centre backs are going to be out. Um, the first one's going to be Leicester away, and the problem, like you said earlier, right at the start of the show, is um, having these big games. They are going to be the ones where he's going to start with McTominay and Fred. Um, so he's inviting all that pressure on. And and to be fair, do you know what? Um, a lot of people are saying, oh, he's, he's being defensive with that. And in one um, aspect he is, because it's obviously a pragmatic thing, but I don't think it's a, he's scared or anything. I just think he's showing conviction in his opinion. He's quite brave to do, to do it, knowing that it's really not working in the midfield and thinking well, at least it's got us through the big games. So that's what I'm going to be depending on for the next couple of months. But especially if that if the defence isn't right, it's, a, it's basically, um, I thought McTominay and Fred against Everton was the, um, like I said, it was the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of saying, well, they can't start in home games against teams of that nature. But now is the massive test for them in terms of the career of the club because they've got to excel in these this run of big games, haven't they? They have, and when you look at Leicester, who at the moment are having a poor season, everyone's trying to cover Brendan Rodgers, but I keep talking about injuries and that, but 
they're in the position now, Leicester, where everyone was talking about them breaking into the top four. And yeah. it has it hasn't gone that way because all of a sudden you see what how they've gone with injuries. You know, so many loads of injuries you keep talking about Leicester, but yet they're still leaving so-called one of their best players on the bench quite regularly in Madison. The yeah. player that was mentioned with a lot of clubs, you know, that little run he had, even before he went to Leicester being mentioned with big clubs, and he got to Leicester and he was mentioned with big clubs. And now he's struggling to get in the team. But you look at it and you sort of went two up against Palace and then against a run of play, and then Palace come back and maybe should have won the game in the end. So they're not in great shape. Everyone will talk about United, they're away form, but I don't think it's worth talking about because the form and the performance, um, the win percentage at home and the performances are poor at Old yeah. Trafford. So this one is about winning and forget about um, unbeaten runs and all that away from home. You know, for me, that doesn't really ring true. It's about, it's about making yourself strong at home and that's where you go and really achieve from there. When you go away from home and then you talk about the big results, big performances as well. So they need a big performances and this will just show that maybe and find out a lot about players who come in, a lot more about them, because they're going to have a little bit at this moment in time with kind of thinking they're going to get a little bit of a run of games, not coming in for the odd one. It's looks like at least maybe two, maybe even more so, maybe three coming in for these games. And so it's, it's going to be a test for those, you know, can they do it? You have to judge them as well. In fact, some of them haven't played a lot of football. So they're going to go in there ring rusty, having to push themselves even harder, knowing they're under pressure to perform. On the other side of it, they're, they're, they know in themselves mentally that once once they do their job, there's a good chance if someone's fit, they're going to go back out again. So there's that side of it, the mental side of it as well with these players. So it all depends how they're being managed off the field by Oli. How good is his man management skills to keep these players on a high, to keep them when they know that. I've seen it with West Ham seen a lot of West Ham recently. David Moyes has been doing that. Those players come in, he changes it around for League Cup, he changes it for Europe. Those players come in and they do an incredible job and then they go back out again. Can Ollie manage in that way? I think it takes a lot of years and experience to get that way, especially the players of today, the way they are. It takes a really, really a manager with a lot of experience knowing how to deal with individuals. So yeah. I'm really looking for United a good performance, not just they get over the line and a Ronaldo late goal gets them out of trouble. That's that's not Manchester United. You have that now and again. You go in the dressing room, you get a rollicking, and then you know you have to step up. That's how I remember things. And and but I, I just want you know I, I just want United to to give a really good honest performance and dominate a game of football. And you say, wow, won that one one nil, but it should have been five. But you're not yeah. getting that at this moment in time. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're completely right, um, as usual. The the the, um, the points that you've made there, they're so right. And, and United are in this position where those players who are all on the fringe, they're looking at um, saving the United careers, basically. Now, they can go to Newcastle if they want. Um, but if, like a, a Lindelof, for example, the, the best that he's going to hope for for the next two or three years, staying at United, is going to be back up centre-off. He's going to have to be the best backup centre off that United could wish to have. Otherwise, um, you know, the career's on the line basically. In that in that role, it's all right. If, you know, 
well, he should be he should be on the line. Um, a lot of players do coast, but that's this is make or break basically. It's a make or break period for uh, for those players in in those vital positions, especially with the injuries that we've got at the moment. Um, it's going to be a very defining period uh, the next two months for for certain. Um, like I've always been saying, it's not going to be certain that we know that Ollie will succeed, but we can definitely tell. We'll be able to tell by the end of sort of let's say the end of the, this calendar year if we've got any stock in McTominay and Fred carrying on as a midfield in the big games or if that's got to go to pot and we, we we try something different or whether or not you know if Ollie's just not up to it I think those answers are going to be um in this period which is going to be basically it's judgment day this period of time um Right, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that Leicester game. Hopefully, um, we can we can pull out a good performance, like Paul says. We're, we're overdue that more than we are a good result, to be fair. Um, we'll we'll be back next week to discuss that game and preview the game against Atalanta um, in the in the midweek in the Champions League. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a nice rating or review on um, on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on on the podcast as well. And if you are watching on YouTube, um, like I said, please like the the show. It really helps us out and. Subscribe if you if you haven't already. Uh, we'll we'll be back next week, so stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening and watching. Cheers, guys. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants. 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.